Hello, everybody. Welcome to Block and Order, where we explore the legal issues facing the Web3 world so you don't have to. I'm Kyle Lawrence, and with me, as always, is my co-host. He's the Batman to my Robin, Moish Pelts, everybody. Hello, Kyle, and hello, everyone else. How are you doing today, Moish? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. It's a, you know, it's a Tuesday in crypto land, and <laughs> taxes have been filed, and I think it's ready to go, right? Well, they were supposed to have been filed. Whether they were or not, we cannot attest. Uh, stranger things have happened <laughs> in this world. All right. Well, let's kick the show off today with our first topic, Misari Fundraising. Moish, tell the people what you know. So the uh, Misari company released a state of crypto fundraising report this past month showing that funding has dropped, believe it or not, in the third quarter of 2023, with uh, the third quarter marking new lows in both overall funding and on deal counts, at least uh, since Q4 2020 was the last time we've seen numbers this low. So quarterly, there was fundraising of about $2 billion across about 300 deals, uh, both about you know 36% down from last quarter. So Kyle, given this uh, report, do you think uh, this, this tracks with our, our, our feeling of where we're at in the market right now? It's certainly consistent with the ideas of bear markets that everybody is talking about. And when you factor in uh, geopolitical turmoil and economic fears that are just you know so prevalent in our in our media cycle, these kinds of things are not surprising. Um, and what cert what is also not surprising is that the deal flow that is there it tended to migrate towards pre-seed, seed, a rounds. You know those really early rounds that are smaller. Uh, in size, you're not getting these massive nine-figure investments. You know, I mean, some, but but few and far between. So it's certainly consistent with one typical economic indicators, and it's certainly consistent with the state of the crypto market as it stands today, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I you know I think anecdotally, people are surprised when they hear that there are deals <laughs> happening at all. They're like, oh, right. it's crypto. There's nothing happening. There's no fundraising. Well, no, there, there's still 300 deals in a quarter, which is which isn't insignificant. It's still a couple billion dollars of fundraising. Right. So I think there is real money available for real companies with real founders, with real ideas that are building, you know, still today. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously, those numbers are way down. You're not seeing the, you know, 50 million dollars at a 200 million dollar valuation deals that we were seeing That's a true. lot of in 2021 and 2022. But that right. that I think tracks. It's just the the reality is there are deals happening um especially i think in the infrastructure space um still in the in the DeFi sector um things like that that are that are real money real dollar amounts are are happening you're seeing the the, the transaction amounts like going through these protocols those are a little bit easier to fund than right you know the web3 stuff where it's like hey we're gonna go out and sell an nft collection it's like well is, is now the right time for that um, and should we should we put money into into betting that that's going to happen at a, at a tenant's right. return? Well, one of the aspects of the deals being concentrated in more pre-seed seed and, and series A is that they are smaller in size. And to a company like Binance Labs that was very active in this quarter, a three million dollar investment is pocket change to them. I, I don't not to sound play monopoly so. money with people money, but in the grand scheme of things, that is insignificant. So it's easy for them to take a bunch of flyers and hope that two or three of them hit, you know, as like in baseball, if they make 10 of these investments, if two of them hit, that's, you know, it's a Mendoza line. It's not terrible. That's well, they're not uh, looking okay for hits. They're looking for grand slams, right? Well, well, right. That's true. And all you need is, is but, one but or two I, of them and it pays for it. 
Yeah, but I think that's right. And I think you look back at some of the big deals that were happening in some of the players, like, well, is that capital sustainable? And are right. we going to get, you know, rounds like that in this current environment? So yep. to be to be seen. To be seen. So next topic in the order is crypto layoffs. A number of crypto firms uh, have announced layoffs in the past few weeks. Just to run down a few examples, uh, I think really across every sector, we have Bitmain, the crypto miner, Certic, the crypto security and audit firm, Chainalysis, the blockchain tracing analytics firm, Ledger, the hardware wallet seller, and even Yuga Labs, the NFT seller and owner of the Board API Club and CryptoPunks. So Kyle, we have here, uh, I think, layoffs at really every facet of the industry. Uh, how does this sync with our last topic of fundraising and where we are in the market now? Uh, what are the odds? There's less money. There's less money to retain people. I mean, who'd have thunk it? Um, also in there, not in the rundown, I, I did notice that KuCoin, you know, this was a couple months ago now, but they there was speculation they were going to fire everybody. Their CEO went very public and said, that's not happening. And the next day, uh, 300 people were, were laid off. So, you know, not, it's not schadenfreude. It's just the way that the cookie crumbles. I don't think this is specific to crypto. I think this is a sort of global issue. Uh, LinkedIn just fired a, a bunch of people, fired, they, they laid them off. Um, you wonder if those people got LinkedIn invitations asking them if they wanted to go to job fairs and whatnot, but you know, that we'll, we'll let somebody yell at me for that comment. Um, but, but this is not atypical of the, the market. Um, you know, as somebody who, who probably knows a lot of people at some of these firms, was, is there any scuttlebutt coming out as to what this portends for the industry? Anything like that that you're hearing? You know, I, I think it points to just general belt tightening, right? There's a lot of companies. They raised a lot of money uh, back in 2021, 2022. Um, they have aims of lasting through, you know, this bear cycle. Um, they're trying to extend their runway. And one right. of the big costs of these firms is, you know, employees, headcount. Sure. Right? Is. So that's at least one of the big costs they can control. Right. Um, so you're seeing that is obviously an avenue that firms are exploring to reduce their expenses and to extend their runway. For so sure. does this surprise me? Yeah, I'm with you. No, not really. Um, you know, the, these are, it's unfortunate. And I think you're right. It's not limited to the crypto sector. I think it's part of, well, we're going to raise funding. This ties back to our last one. If we're going to raise, it's going to be a smaller round at a, you know, the, the, the money's going to be less attractive in terms of either, you know, the higher cost of capital, whatever it is. Um, and, or we're facing a down round from our previous funding. And so, right. you know, we, we want to lock in those losses. So yeah, I think you're seeing, yeah. you know, how do you make your company look more attractive for funding? How do you make, how do you extend runway? Uh, this is just one of those variables, unfortunately. And you're seeing that not just in crypto, you're right. You're seeing that in, um, in all sorts of the, the, the big, uh, you know, tech companies. I think Netflix had some layoffs. I think, I think there were some, uh, you know, I don't want to speculate. <laughs> I think it's all, all over the place. <laughs> go on the but... record, speculate. Yeah, go ahead. I know. <laughs> One of the things that I think people need to take with a grain of salt is, I mean, these seem like large numbers, and they are. I mean, KuCoin, it was 30% of their staff. Ledger was 10 to 12%. Chain, Chainalysis was 15%. When companies, specifically tech, do layoffs, they try to over lay off people. Because you do it once, the public forgets. That's, that's a 48-hour window, and it's going to be out of the news cycle. Um, you don't want to do it twice. That's really bad. Look, uh, in the news cycle. Yep, that's right. Moving on to our next topic, the SEC did not file a timely appeal to the DC Circuit Court uh, 
in regard to the Grayscale's application to convert its Bitcoin trust into a Bitcoin ETF. This indicates that the SEC will likely allow the conversion to a Bitcoin ETF to happen. However, the timing is unclear. And of course, the SEC could find some other grounds to issue a denial. So Kyle, how likely are we to get a Bitcoin <laughs> ETF this year? Um, well, the SEC, part of the reason that this decision uh, came out was that the SEC did actually approve two other Bitcoin futures funds at the same time. Um, and they sort of, there was a, a similar analysis amongst all three, Grayscale being the one and then the other two they approved. And the court said, you can't deny one uh, and, and approve the other two if there's no differential, if there's nothing differentiating them from one to the next. Um, because the SEC just sort of, what's the old law school thing where you throw the paper up on the in the air, wherever it lands on the stairs, that's the grade the person gets. It's almost like what they did here. It really seems that way. So... I mean, who knows what the SEC is thinking? I mean, we've gone on and on about the, the sort of randomness of a lot of their decisions. Um, tough to predict what's going to happen with Grayscale, but it, it's an interesting time for ETFs in the space in general. And, and this news, I, I think, is just sort of the icing on the cake for it. Yeah, I think I think the court may have called the SEC capricious and arbitrary, which is the standard by which they, they, they are not supposed to make their oh, agency okay. decisions. I love uh, it. Yeah, it's like, uh, keep, keep, keep saying it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, nobody likes these futures-based ETFs. The consumers don't like them. Uh, I don't think the issuers like them. Maybe they like them because the fees are really juicy, but I don't think they see that as sustainable business models to just keep raking in fees off these future products. Right. I think the trusts also are really good for the issuers. They're not very good for consumers. My uh, 401k is, is crying a little bit with my investments that are down bad. Just don't look at uh, it. Just just yeah, just, exactly. <laughs> if you don't think about it, it's not there. Um, so look, I think I think the market certainly wants this. And you saw um, this this week, there was a false rumor that the BlackRock ETF was actually going to be approved. And for the the moment in time where the world thought that that was a a, a reality, there was a 10 percent bump in the in the Bitcoin value, the trading of BTC on on basically every exchange based on that false rumor. And so you're right. seeing there is a huge market, uh, I think, expectation and demand. And this could possibly be a catalyst for for that market should these ETFs actually get approved. But Potentially. Yeah. I, 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 don't know so? if I, I don't know if I'd go that far necessarily, only because when you have the world and the state that it's in today economically, um, people become a little bit um, less risk averse. I mean, the, the Ethereum ETF, uh, the, the Bitcoin futures, um, just to give you some context, the first one that did come out in October of 2021 collected $570 million on its first day. And the Ethereum ETFs this week, it was $10 million in total for six of them over the course of a week. 570 million versus 10 million. Treasury yields just hit their highest level in years. When that happens, people, you know, spec assets go out the door. It's no magic to it, these guys. Yeah, that's a good point. It all ties back to that macro, right? So our next topic, the SEC has announced their first two NFT enforcement actions. One was against the Stoner Cats NFT project, which was backed by Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher with a uh, guest appearance by Vitalik Buterin in animated <laughs> form. And the other was against Impact Theory, a business educational content company headed by Tom Bilyeu. The SEC has deemed both companies to have sold NFTs as part of an unregistered securities offering. 
and the SEC commissioners Pierce and Ueda dissented, emphasizing that stifling of artist creativity um, and drawing uh, parallels to traditional collectible offerings that, that are not unregistered securities offerings. So Kyle, what kind of questions does this uh, raise about the future of NFTs and their ability to be sold as not securities? Well, it's definitely a, a not surprising development given everything you've heard coming out of the SEC over the past few years. Um, you know, Stoner Cats was the second case that they lobbied against a, an NFT project impact theory, which we'll talk about in a minute, was, was the first one. And at the end of the day, this, the, the through line between these things is the founders of the project were basically encouraging people to invest because they could make money. Stoner Cats, they were talked about their experience in Hollywood and how they had all these famous stars and how they knew that um, people would, would make a profit somehow by, invest, by investing in these NFTs. And so what the SEC's Division of Enforcement said, um, the sort of like Skeletor uh, lackey called Gerber Gruel was the guy's name. Um, so forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, but he, he said, look, regardless of whether your offering involves beavers, chinchillas, or animal-based NFTs, under the federal securities laws, it's the economic reality of what you're offering. It's not the thing you're selling, it's how you're selling it. If I say, Moish, you buy this thing, you're going to make money on it, I'm engaging in an unregistered securities offering. If I just say, here, Moish, buy this, then I'm not. Um, and that's a, that's a tricky thing because something like this, you have Mila Kunis, you have Ashton Kutcher, people are automatically going to be drawn to it, you know, whether they have baggage or not. And there's going to be an economic reality where somebody expects to make money on it. Yeah, but the economic reality is not one of the four prongs or three prongs of the Howey test. And yeah. it seems like it's all been compressed to that. I think yeah. above and beyond that, you know, I really, I really appreciate the dissenting opinion by commissioners Pierce and Ueda. Um, you know, we, we see this, you know, all the time is, you know, I'm an artist. I have this creative idea. I want to put this out into the world. It just, that costs money. And I want someone to help me pay for that. And so it's just like, you know, I think their, their dissenting opinion alluded to star Wars and them selling collectible toys as part of their, you know, offering to raise money to help, uh, you know, <laughs> film the second, you know, episode or whatever it's going to be. Right. right. And so I think it's like, look, if the SEC had said, here's the rules of the road, here's how to do this. Here's a, here's a way you can do this in a way that achieves your artistic, you know, goals and creative outlet and et cetera. But yeah, you're going to raise some capital. Just here's the third rail. Don't do it this way. They right. issued no guidance. They saw all this happening in 2021, 2022 when these projects were launched. And now we are in like the Q3 of 2023. It's like, oh, wait, no, you shouldn't do that. If they're a regulator and they're going to be serious about regulating this industry, they, they should have a more active voice in coaching people of the do's and don'ts. And even these actions, I don't think really do that. Um, so yeah, you can kind of read the tea leaves and see what yeah. they didn't like about this and the marketing speak, but they're not really issuing any proactive guidance to creators to try and um, make NFT launches. So, right. you know. Yeah, it's definitely are. frustrating. Damn it, Jim, I'm a government regulator, not a government regulator, right? It's, it's yeah. So our last topic of the day, uh, oh. SBF. I don't know. Do we, do we even need to say more? Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure where to begin on this one. I mean, the the trial is getting a lot of a lot of publicity, and you're hearing just horror story after horror story coming out from the different witnesses who have testified against um, SBF and who have pled guilty and accepted 
you know, lesser charges for themselves. Uh, some of the ones that stick out in my in my mind, I was seeing um, Nishad Singh was testifying about how they have key meetings about financials and projections on the balcony in the Bahamas, and he would express his fear. And SBF, I don't know if he didn't care or just didn't understand it. It it's just. It's really bizarre. Just the, the more you look under the hood, the more you see just the, the wackiness <laughs> that's been going on. What, 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 what did you see last? Oh, man. So, I mean, the Carolyn Ellison uh, testimony was uh, great, great to read along. And you know, one of the things she said was that the you know, SPF's image of being this kind of slouchy, messy haired dude was was very calculated, which I right. think is was interesting. Um, her testimony was interesting. Um I, I've, I've read the Michael Lewis Going Infinite book, which I thought was uh, really interesting. He's gotten some uh, probably deserved uh, pushback about being a little bit too friendly to these guys. But I think just because this thing blew up doesn't mean that there was always this uh, like you know conspiracy to take everyone's money. I right. think a lot of it was disorganization. I think a lot of it was, um, you know, hey, let's 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 uh take the, the, you know, there's the gap there's a there's a funding gap let's where do we have money ah there's money right. here. let's do it yeah. so like increasingly terrible decisions obviously ending up in what is alleged to be uh fraud and criminal conduct and so forth and you know, people admitting to that criminal conduct i i also thought um you know so two people have been really really good on on the reporting here one is molly white um who will put a, note, a link in the show notes um who has posted on her Substack. Uh, basically daily recounts of the trial testimony, which has been really fascinating. The other is Matt Levine, who's the Bloomberg columnist, and his newsletter is just fantastic. He, no he can do no wrong. What right. you're doing. <laughs> he he had a quote, uh, which which I so one one of the things that um, uh, Carolyn Ellison testified to was that there was like a a primary spreadsheet that had their financial picture when they were trying to raise capital towards the end, oh, um, and then and then there was like other balance sheets that presented an alternative uh, presentation. So Matt Levine yeah. said, if you prepare a balance sheet for a lender and your boss says, why don't we present this information in a different way? You probably need a lawyer. If you prepare seven balance sheets and your boss is like, let's go with alternative number seven, <laughs> then one of you is going to prison absolutely forever. Uh, yeah. And Carolyn Ellison probably decided it wasn't going to be her. Yeah. So, you know, it's just interesting to see the, the testimony come out, the documents come out. Um, there's a lot of contemporaneous texts and discussions and um, it just really kind of what a mess it was, uh, right. especially in those final days. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like uh, this doesn't look good for SBF. No, putting aside the SBF of it all, one of the things that I think this underscores is the lack of sophistication in this industry. On our last topic, you were talking about how the SEC has provided no guidance and there's no rules governing these kinds of things. I mean, we can see where their thinking is, sort of. Um, and here it's kind of no different. I mean, this is a large exchange, tens of billions of dollars just cycling through it. And they were not, there was no audited financials. They weren't subject to certain, you know, governance rules. I mean, all these things that are typical for not just public companies, large companies with large revenues, you know, stretching, you know, from border to border and across country, you know, all of these things. And for them to be using QuickBooks, for them to have just no internal governance, at some point it stops being, well, I'm just a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. I got over my head and saying, well, how am I possibly supposed to know what to do if you're not telling me how to do it? I think there's a little bit of you know blame to go around on that front. I'm not excusing him. I'm not saying that what he did was okay. A lot of people got really screwed, but still, I mean, he's operating without a net. Right. And that and that's, I mean, I, I think that part's clear. And I think you're also seeing 
so, some of some of that like the, if you match up the timeline of like the public statements that the company was making mm-hmm. and then what was happening in the background and what right. they knew or allegedly knew uh, or what people are testifying they, they knew then the, the just it's two different pictures and i think that's right. where you really see the you know I, I i sympathize with michael lewis like look i was embedded with these guys and this is what i saw and some of it was real like this was a company that did grow like sure. billions of customer deposits and that's real but right. then some of the things they were saying just don't match with what appears to have been happening at the same time yeah. in the background um and so you you definitely see you know some of those alleged elements of fraud kind of percolating to the to the top as part of that so no that's true. Fa- endlessly fascinating um, it, it really and is hopefully i'm gonna try and make it down to one of the the days of uh the, the trial just because it the, how, how can i miss out on that we'll see if you can get in by the time we record our next episode i'm sure we could have a half hour discussion as to the developments between now and then but uh <laughs> we, we shall see so and lastly i just want to point out that the lexpunk army has released an ai powered drafting tool to submit a comment to IRS on proposed uh, crypto broker reporting regulations. Um, if anyone doesn't know about that, they should read up on it. I think it's very important for the industry, potentially crippling for the industry if these regulations are implemented as proposed. Anyone that has a dog in this fight should think about submitting a comment letter to Treasury and LexPunk created a nice AI power tool to allow you to quickly uh, articulate your thoughts and send them to Treasury to do just that. So we'll post a link to that in the show notes as well. That about wraps it up for our episode of Block and Order. Thank you, every, thank you everybody for listening. Um, a special shout out to producer Abby, who keeps us out of trouble and keeps us on the straight and narrow. Uh, remember that everything you've heard today is not legal advice. Please consult your own attorney if you are going to take the plunge down the rabbit hole. I'm Kyle Lawrence, and on behalf of our co-host, Moish Peltz, thank you, everybody. Thank you.